you 20 bucks. What's it there for? for? So we're going to start, we're going to go back to verse 22 in chapter 1, and then we're going to do the whole of chapter 2 this morning, and I'll try not to make it too painful for you. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, 23, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. Isn't that interesting? We looked at this scripture last week. I don't know how many times I've read Ephesians, and and last week was like the first time that I ever noticed that, that all things are put under Christ's control for our benefit, for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Right into chapter 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. I love the tense here. You were dead. Past tense. You were in the condition of being dead. Isn't that strange? You know, we talk about people dying, but I'm not dead yet. And yet in the scripture here, it says right here, you were dead. Dead is not something that is going to happen. Dead is something that has already happened, according to the scripture. At some point, we were all dead. Some people still are dead. There's a passage in the Gospels where Jesus is... A couple of people come to Jesus and they say, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to follow you. And then when Jesus says, well, come along then, each one has an excuse of what I'm going to just today. It's like people that are going to quit, whatever it is, starting tomorrow, starting on Monday, right? And, and this one man had a, a dead family member. And he said, I, I, I want to follow you, Jesus, but I want to go to this funeral first. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. It's interesting, isn't it? So we are born into death. Now here's, I don't know how deep I want to get into this. Through the failing of one man, I called this message today one. Through the failing of one man, Adam, all of us are born into sin. When a newborn baby is born and the doctor does whatever they do to get them Breathing, they don't smack them anymore, do they? What do we do now? We nurture them. Please breathe. You know, give them a smack. You know. <laughs> that brand newborn baby is already born into sin. Doesn't seem fair, does it? Hasn't done anything. Hasn't uttered a word. Hasn't done anything. Born into sin. It, it, it sounds unfair all through the sin of one man sounds unfair but it's not so we're just going to put that on the shelf for a second okay we'll circle back so carrying on in the scripture he says you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world obeying the devil the commander of the powers in the unseen world scary moment the devil is the commander of the powers in the unseen world. You know, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I've just been through Halloween and all that stuff. Don't get into Ouija boards. Don't get into fortune tellers. Don't get into mediums. No matter how 
innocent you might think that it is, it is not innocent. It all comes from the devil who is the commander of the unseen world. That's what God says. Don't be any part of that. Don't have anything to do with it. It all comes from the devil. He is the spirit at work in the heart of those who refuse to obey God. I want to explain something here because it's easy to take this out of context. There is a world of difference between doing wrong and refusing to obey God. Bear with me for a second. We all do wrong. Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody does wrong. Even people who are seeking to obey God do wrong. But there's a heart, you know, I want to be obedient to you, God. I know I pray this sometimes. God, I want to be obedient to you. I'm just not very good at this. And I need your help. So even Christians who seek to obey God do wrong sometimes. But refusing to obey God in this manner is a whole different level of disobedience. And that's what Paul is talking about. There is a willful choice to not obey God. And the devil is at the heart of that level of disobedience. Now, what's scary about this passage of Scripture, it says we were all there at one point. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclination of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Just like everyone else. The descendants of the one man, right? Like father, like son. If Adam hadn't have sinned, Whoever is next in line would have sinned. And so it goes. And if, and, if, and if they were all good, by the time it got to me, I'd have messed it up. So that's the way it is. But God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. I love this scripture. It's so encouraging. And you see this so often through the scripture. God didn't wait for us to get our act cleaned up. He didn't say, you know, get everything in order. Get your act right. You know, when when you start living the right life, then I'll be your God. No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He rescued us. Verse 6, it says, for he raised us from the dead. Notice the tense. He raised us from the dead. We were dead. He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Now catch this. This is, you know, you've got to dig in there sometimes and read a little bit more into it. He raised us from the dead, not he will raise us from the dead. He seated us with him in the heavenly realms, not he will seat us with him. So this, this goes back to this weird stuff we've been talking about for a few weeks with eternity that we can't get our heads around and this dimension that we live in where there's a past, a present, and right now. We live in a moment. But all of Scripture shows us that this moment that we live in isn't really what it's all about. There's only forever. And somewhere in forever, we're already seated with God. 
It's weird, isn't it? Here's the thing with this. It's not just our destiny to be raised from the dead and seated with Christ. It's our identity. It's who we are. We are the living. We are the ones who are sitting with Christ in the heavenly realms. That's who we are. It's not who we are going to become. It's who we are. And we have to hold on to this as Christians because once you start to see yourself through God's eyes, it changes how you live. When you look in the mirror in the morning, you get up and you're getting ready for work. I don't know what you think when you look in the mirror. I go, ooh. But you've got to look at that person and say, you are a child of the living God sitting in heaven with the Lord. Through Jesus Christ. You are victorious in Christ. You need to live a victorious life in Christ. It's not our destiny. It's our identity. It's who we are. We're not going to be raised to life. We are raised to life. Connected to God through his spirit. In the spirit. Through the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus. It was in that third song that we sang. It's the whole of the trinity. Brought to God through Christ in the Spirit. Awesome. Now why? Why is God so rich in mercy? Why has he saved us? Because we're special? Nope. Anyone special here? Yeah. We're all special, but that's not why he saved us. Because we deserve it? Because we earned it? No. Look at verse 7. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and his kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Just as those people were back in that church in Ephesus, we today are examples for Christ. So that the future generations, all these little kids that we saw here this morning, can look back at us and say, wow, that had to be God. I know my kids look at me, and if there's anything good in me, they know it had to be God. There's proof that God's alive, because that guy is not that guy. He's some other guy. We don't know who he is, but thank God. We are examples. Now, the next three verses, 8, 9, 10. Really, really important, all right? So if you're kind of dozing off, just wake up for a second because it's, yes, we got an elder yawning in church. I mean, seriously, it's probably a chili. You're not going to win. <laughs> now, you know, when it's warm like this, it's easy to just, so I want you to pay attention for three verses, okay? God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. Anyone feel like God's masterpiece? When you look in the mirror in the morning, do you feel like God's masterpiece? You are. You're his masterpiece. If he said it, you better own it, because you are. I don't feel like God's masterpiece, but I'm God's masterpiece. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. 
grace is freely given to those who believe. Well, what does that mean? Romans 10. Is it Romans 10, 8 and 9? I don't know. There's a book. There's a book called Romans, and there's some stuff in it about Jesus. I don't know, but I'm going to make it up as I go. No. What do you believe? Number one, I believe that Jesus lived. Number two, I believe that he lived a perfect life. Number three, I believe that he died on the cross, free of sin. Cross, free of sin. Number four, I believe that he was raised to life again. And that because he was raised to life, he had victory over death. Well, where did death come from? Death was the consequence of sin. That's why we were born into death. We are all born into death because of Adam. Death means that we are separated from God. Sin means we're separate. That's what, that's what it means to be dead, is to be separated from God. We're born separated from God, but through Jesus Christ, who had victory over death, if we choose to believe in him, trust him, ask him for forgiveness of sin, the Bible says that we are regained, we are reunited with God. This is good news for those who believe this. It's not because of anything good you have done. It is because of God's grace through Jesus Christ. Now, when you get saved and you come to Jesus, you're saved for a reason. So that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are saved to serve. Saved to serve. And when we serve in the manner that we were recreated to serve in, what a sweet thing it is. When you're fulfilling your purpose, you feel good. So I ask these kids, when you serve, when you do things, and you know, they, they all, did you see them raise their hand? Who likes to help? I do, I do, I do, I do. Somewhere they lose that. But <clears throat> and how does it make you feel? It makes me feel good. That's because we were created to serve. It goes on in verse 11. It says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promise God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. That's us. At one time, we were not one. We were not part of God's people. We were separate from God's people. But Christ came along and changed all of that. It says, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two people groups. Now, that one new people, I'm not going to get into all that because 
you'll just all go to sleep. I was, I was looking this up. So in the, new, in, in the New Living Translation, it says one new people. In the NIV, it says one new humanity. In the New King James, it says one new man. In the New American Standard Version, it says one new person. I thought it was so interesting, all the different iterations that came out of that Greek word. And, and it's one. It, it's this oneness that we get from Jesus Christ. Humanity brings division. Satan brings division. Sin brings division. Christ brings oneness across gender divisions, across racial divisions, across political divisions, across denominational divisions. Jesus creates in himself one new people. I remember being at a conference one time up in Chicago at a big church, and there were, gosh, like 20,000 people there. And uh, the guy that got up there did a really good il illustration. His name was John Ortberg. He said, how many churches do you think are represented here this morning? And people are looking around, 500, 400, 300, 200. He said, one. One church is represented here. Jesus creates in himself one new people, unified in him for one purpose. The reconciliation of all people to himself and to God so that they may be one with him just as we are one with him. It's what Christ asked for. John 17, wonderful, you know, we talk about the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. Jesus begins this prayer, he's, it's before he goes to the cross, and it's a very personal prayer. We don't have very many word-for-word -word prayers of Jesus. Uh, oftentimes in the gospel, it says Jesus went off to pray, but we don't see the words. John 17, you can go home and read it later if you like. The whole chapter is Jesus praying to God, and down in verse 20 of it, it says, I am praying not only for these disciples... So he's got his disciples around him, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message, through the disciples' message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. It is our oneness that tells the world that God is real, that Jesus is real. I want them to be one so that those who are not one may become one with us. You know, most of you have heard of Kairos because we've talked about it quite a, quite a bit. Kairos is a prison ministry. Randy Thompson is heavily involved in and, you know, we go into the prison for four or five days. Um, one of the things I love about Kairos is on the first day when we go in there, we're all sitting around in a big circle. The, the, outside sorry, the inside team and what we call the brothers in white, those who are residents there. And we go around and we introduce ourselves. And we've got questions on a little introduction sheet. Say who you are. Say what church you belong to. 
And it's just neat to see the look on these guys' faces as we go around the circle. Mike Bishop, Lakeway Baptist Church in the colony. Frank Smith, St. Joseph's Catholic Church, and so and so. Bill Jones, Pentecostal Church, and such and such. Frank, Lutheran Church. And you can see the, these, these brothers in white because in there, they've got gangs. Everybody's in a faction. And they think that we are in a faction. And when we sit around and when we, each one of us introduces ourselves in all of these different denominations, when we get in conversations with it, you know, these guys are like, I wanted to be in here because I just want to see you guys all start fighting with each other. <laughs> it's like, no, we are one in Christ for one purpose. We came in here that you would be one in Christ, unified by his Holy Spirit. It is our oneness that befuddles the <laughs> those people who are divided. You know, it it's funny, isn't it? People expect us to fight over our denominations so that they could go, mm -hmm, yeah, there you go, those Christians. But when we're one in Christ, they don't know what to make of that. That's what Jesus is saying. I want them to be one as we are one so that those that are outside will look at them and say, I don't know what's going on there, but those people are acting weird. They all like each other. And they've all got different facets of this belief, but they all like each other. It's like, wow, what's that all about? Verse 16, it says, Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now, that's kind of interesting because the Jews who considered themselves to circumcise God's family did not have peace. The Gentiles didn't have peace and they didn't have peace. And when Christ came in this oneness, he brought peace to the Jews and he brought peace to the Gentile. And then he made them one. Now, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us there is the Trinity. We come to the Father through the Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done. That's the ultimate oneness. The Holy Spirit, God the Father, and God the Son. Let me give you some ones. Sin entered the world through one man. Sin is eradicated by one man. It wasn't fair that we were born into sin. It's not fair that we are forgiven of sin regardless of what we do. We are unified by one spirit. We are saved for one purpose. The power of one. How many ones do we have in here? It's amazing what God can do through one. How many ones do we have in here? Verse 19, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens, along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are His house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. 
And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. So now the tense has changed to a future tense. We are becoming. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. You know, it amazes me sometimes how much time we Christians spend focused on things that divide us. That tear away at the oneness that Christ brought to us. And sometimes it's almost like we seek them out. And then we shout about them. Mask, no mask. Vaccination, no vaccination. Gender, no gender. Rights. Guns, freedom. I'm not saying that that stuff is not important. But it's time for us to get back to being one and focusing on what is important. When we allow things to separate us, we are eradicating the work of the Holy Spirit and Christ who unifies us as one. People are going to hell because they look at the Christian community and how it's fractured and how it's divided and they say, I don't want to be a part of that. The thing that unifies us is Christ's death on the cross. His spirit in us drawing us back to the Lord for one purpose. The reconciliation of the dead to the Lord so that they may have life in the Lord. That's what we're here for. That's our one mission. That's what it means to live by the Spirit. Let me close with this. Back to verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things, the good things he planned for us long ago. Isaiah 64, 8 says, And yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. And I get this image of a, a lump of clay on the potter's wheel. And we're, we're all the lump of clay, right? Some's good clay, some's bad clay. I'm not very good clay. I'm lumpy clay. But God takes the lump of clay and he forms and he molds it into something useful, like a pitcher that he can pour himself into so that he can use to pour himself into other people. And he bakes it and he fires it until it is strong and useful. Let me tell you something, folks. God isn't interested in ornaments. He's not interested in ornaments. So let me ask you a question. If God were to say to you, 
I want to use you in this coming year to build my kingdom. What would get in the way? He didn't save us to sit here and look pretty, which is just as well, right? He wants to take that piece of clay as it is and make it useful. So here's my challenge to you this morning. And it's a holiday challenge. We're at the beginning of the holidays here. How can you bring oneness to your community, to those in your sphere of influence? Are there relationships around you that are fractured? Are there people that you know who are far from God and you have allowed division for whatever reason to seep into that relationship? It could be ideologies, it could be politics, it could be anything. You see, Christ's not interested in our politics. Christ is interested in our mission. Christ is interested in people who are far from him, who have an eternity in hell, and he sent us to be one so that we can go and rescue them and bring them in. I want you to think about what you can do to help resolve that situation. Not simply for the sake of peace, but for the sake of that person's eternity. Is your rightness, your pride, your pain, your shyness or whatever more important than their eternity? How can you build into that relationship so that they may come to know Jesus and be one with him. And here's another one. Are there people that you know who are close to God? They're Christians. They're fellow Christians. But division has been allowed to seep into that relationship. And the oneness is missing for some reason. We are called to live in unity in oneness. Now, it's very important. Please catch this. I'm not talking about compromising the truth for the sake of unity. Jesus didn't come to bring peace at all cost. That kind of compromise only muddies the water. Truth brings unity. Not my truth, not your truth. His truth brings unity through the power of the Holy Spirit. Truth spoken in love brings unity, and you have to earn the right to speak that truth into somebody's life. So this is a relationship thing we're talking about here. And you earn that right through love. You earn that right through understanding. You learn that right through listening. You learn that right through humility. And it can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit active in our lives, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things build bridges into people's life. Where does God want to use you to bring oneness into someone's life this holiday season? Amen? Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, I give you thanks. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are over all things, and all things are held together in your hand. And Father, through the Holy Spirit that you have put in us and through the death of Jesus Christ that unifies us, we can be one. And through your Holy Spirit, Father, we can raise, rise above those things that cause division and separation in us. Father, help us to focus in on the one thing that is important. That those that do not know you will come to know you. And Father, convict us, I pray. And seven weeks away from a new year. Father, I pray that in this new year, you would use each and every one of us to bring those that don't know you into relationship with you. Father, may we be one as you and the Son are one so that they may be one. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mike. No worries. Again, thank you for being here today. I hope God pierced some hearts and pierced some minds on the message today. If you're looking at your bulletin, we have some announcements and a couple things. Get ready. Hold on. we got a lot of things coming up. Living Nativity Build-Out is going to be next Saturday, 9 a.m. You'll want to join Randy Thompson and myself. We'll be up front gathering some wood to build out a manger, getting ready for the December Living Nativity, which is the next thing I need to share with you. There's a sign-up list. Guys, uh, talking to the men yesterday during men's breakfast, uh, we call upon God to use us wherever possible. Let me tell you something. We have a lot of events occurring and one of the things that we need to make sure that we're not activity-driven, we're more purpose-driven. If you're looking for God to use you, just show up. Show up at one or all of the events. You have a story that you can share. Just a 30-second testimony of what God's done to your life can be a conviction to somebody that doesn't know him. I invite you to be part of the celebrations that we have coming up. If you want to be part of Living Nativity, we're looking for a Joseph. We're looking for a Mary. And... Uh, it's just going to be three different times. We're looking at maybe possibly 30 minutes to share a story, a Christmas card that we give to this community. So be a part of something special. Join us. Yes, sir. No acting. Don't have to speak. Just a little singing, a little bit of dancing. No, but the sign-up sheet is in the back. See Sandra? See Bob? He has it listed in the back. Guys, let's give the community a Christmas card. And if you've noticed, we're doing it on one day. That's all we're asking for. Look at your calendars, set that Saturday night aside, and be a part of something special. Invite a neighbor, invite a coworker, and uh, let's share the story, the true story of Christmas. Uh, so next Saturday for the build is going to be 9 a.m. Okay, so anybody that could help, again, we want to get the major set up, and then once we get that, it's going to be easy to do some add-ons before the actual event. Um, Thanks giveaway. Gosh, I'm telling you, Hungry Souls, raise your hand, David, Christy. Uh, there's several in here that are part of that ministry. Alan, you want to touch somebody? Again, uh, at the grocery store, we have a list of items that we could sure use. And uh, 2022 is no different from 2020. There's people that need us, need our help, need your help. Guys, there's a list of items. Don't worry about the zeros over here. We did have them initially when we had uh, maybe 12 families sign up and we thought we had everything we needed. Guys, there's much more than 12 families. So on this list, just come bring the items to the office. See David. David, see Alan. Raise your hand. 
guys, this is where we can really help the community in need. And I'm going to talk about something special. If you're available that Thursday morning during Thanksgiving and you want to be blessed, being blessed is being able to give a family in need a prepared meal, including a cooked turkey, and praying with them that morning. It might be a blessing to you, but God works in mighty ways where you walk out of that household saying, thank you, Jesus. So be a part of something special. See David. And I want to also mention there might be some needs that you know of. Please do not address those families, but do see David and see the uh, Hungry Souls team. Let us decide because we have a long list of who we can give to so we can make sure that those families do get uh, a meal that, that day. All right, continuing. Uh, the client small group, getting set up, be ready for it. You can read that. Upcoming events, we got church Christmas decorating on November 27th. Toy run, again, on the 4th. Great opportunity. Be putting these on your calendars, guys. This is how God uses you, being able to meet people that don't know Jesus and just be able to share a testimony, get into a conversation, be there, participate. Uh, Living Nativity, again, Saturday, December 10th. All right, now for the big event, and there's a reason why I'm dressed up. I left my cowboy hat over there, but uh, ladies, men, women's uh, ministry is hosting an auction and actually a, a chili cook-off this afternoon, immediately after this service. A uh, couple guidelines, a couple rules. So, first of all, if you have not gotten a sheep, first of all, what, what's a, a live auction? What's a silent auction? Silent auctions are happening right now. There's a whole bunch of junk, I mean, great stuff for you to bid on and use. And guys, listen, just remember, this is for the ladies, okay? Don't worry how much it's going to cost. This is an opportunity to give and donate and actually get a piece of stuff back and say, hey, all right, we start to rationalize what it is. Many of us just write a check for $50. Now you got something to take home for it and show, hey, it's worth it. Live auction. This is the exciting part. We got stuff that has a date night, including a hotel valued at $150 at a Marriott, including a dinner and, I think, movie tickets. Probably a $200, if not $250. We have Dunkin' Donut for life. Or not life, for the, li for the next year. And I think that's like four drinks, et cetera. But I'll give you an example of how this works, and I don't have a pen, but let's say I'm going to auction this off. This is how it works. We got the first bid for $10. Can I get $10? Can I get $10? Looking for $10? Can I get $10? I got $10. Can I get $12? Looking for $12. Looking for $12? Looking for $12? Can I get $12? Got $12. Looking for $14? Can I get $14? Can I get $14? $14. Yep. $14. Looking for $16? Can I get $16? $16. Meet me halfway. Can I get $13? Looking for $13? Can I get $13? $13. $100. Thank you. Can I get $101? So you get the gist, guys. We're going to have fun. You know what? Again, it's not about just be a part of it. So first of all, the chili cook-off, guys. So right after, when as soon as I dismiss you, what you're going to do is you're going to go get your ticket number. So you have to have a, a sheet, a number to bid in the live auction. And like I said, we have about 28, 30 different items in there. Ladies, have put it up. You can actually go look at it, but go get your ticket. For those that already have your ticket, chili cook-off. Need you to walk into the fellowship hall. There's going to be an opportunity to do a taste testing of each one of the chilies. And you actually have a ballot sheet when you go back to the table, and you'll be able to put down.